Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. God is good, amen. I was just sitting there enjoying his presence still, so I'm like, go for it, Jason. I'm, I'm good. I'm over here like, this is good. <laughs> oh, praise God. God is good, amen? Yeah. Amen. I laughed after I got up. I almost didn't get up to say what I said during worship, and, and then the Holy Spirit was like, just do it. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I already had the microphone. They gave me the microphone early, which never happens. And then when I came back and sat down, or just, well, I didn't sit down. I came back to worship. My wife was like, you're wearing a shirt that says freedom. <laughs> it made me laugh real hard because I didn't even know. I just have several T-shirts that are appropriate for church. So then I just went and grabbed one and put it on and left. I didn't, I didn't even know really what shirt I had on this morning. But, uh, and I do have a section separated for church. It's not like I have crazy clothes, but I don't want to come with, like, my work shirts or something like that. And uh, Jesus set me free from religion. Um, so I don't, and, and I don't want to, like, dress how you want to dress, but let your heart be full of reverence, right? Does that make sense? I mean, my brother over here always has a suit coat on, a sports coat on, and I love it. And so if I say, I want to wear a t-shirt and Jesus saved me from religion, that doesn't condemn him. And he knows that. He knows that. But if you're new and maybe you don't know that, it's not about a judgment call. It's that we can be who we want to be. There's times I want to dress up for the Lord. But, but I also came from a place where if I was taught and told that if I didn't wear a button-up shirt with a tie, preferably a sports coat, that God would not accept my worship. That's what I was taught. And so after years of this, in fact, they, they wanted me to be an usher, and they said, we sure would like to have you usher, but we, we, we can't let you do it. And I'm like, why not? Because you never wear a tie. And I said, well, I didn't know if that's the requirement. I'll wear a tie. I didn't even own a tie at that time. I said, I guess I'll have to go buy a tie. And they were like, come here, we got you covered. And they had a whole bunch of big, ugly ties on a hanger back in the sound, sound area. And they gave me a clip-on tie. I discovered clip-on ties. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. I'm like, you mean I don't have to tie this? It's clip-on? This is a great. Clip-on, clip-off, the clipper. <laughs> and so I just thought it was amazing. But I just wanted to serve God so much that I didn't really care. I didn't care what they told me I had to do. I didn't check it in Scripture. I didn't go look it up. I just didn't care. I wanted to. But, but understand that when I begin to get in Scripture and, and discover that God cares and he does care about our heart, and he specifically says that he doesn't regard the outward appearance of man but looks into his heart, and, and, and then there's a scripture put about in there where he says, hey, whenever a rich person comes into church and they're wearing, you know, their fine clothes, and I'm not a fashion guy, like anybody that knows me knows that. But, you know, they're coming in, they're drip, you know, for the youngsters, for the youngsters out there. They come in with drip, and they're doing all this stuff, and they've got a, a big old belt buckle, probably a Gucci, right? Gee, is that the Gucci or something? I don't know. They pay too much for it, or it's fake. And... 
And they come in with all these clothes, and they come in, and the Bible's saying, when you see a person like that, don't run to them and give them a place of honor and bring them up front and put them in the front row and come up and be like, brother, you got to move so that the guy with drip can sit up here, right? The guy that looks good needs to be up front and pay him honor. Why? Because you think he's a rich man. You think he's an important man. You think there's something because you look at the outward man, and God says that's an abomination to him when we do that and demands us not to do it. What he's saying is he wants to look into our hearts and judge our hearts. And so when we come to worship, your heart is paramount. How you approach God is so important, and I say this a lot, and you'll hear it every time probably I preach, but what you believe about God determines how you approach him. If you believe God is angry, if you believe God is mad, I mean, does it, you know, who wants to go to a father who's angry? I know I certainly never did when I was a kid. Sorry. I'm eating a mint. I just can't do it in my cheek anymore. There we go. I mean, the worst thing, the worst words that I could hear when I was a kid was, you just wait till your father gets home. And I always deserved it, always, 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 always. But then I begin to beg and plead, no, mom, no, no, I'm sorry, mom, I'm so sorry, mom, I'm sorry. I mean, I would repent, right? I'm sorry. And I'd lay on the bed, I'd get belts out and spank me, spank me. I'd try to hand her belts, and she'd be like, go to your room, go to your room. Like, Please. Because I didn't want my dad, because I knew what would happen, because my dad would be out there working all day, right? Ten plus hours out there, he did construction work. He'd come in the door. And the first thing that would happen is, you have no idea what your son did today. I'm going to die. I was in my room praying, really, because I knew I was going to die. Because the last thing my father wanted was to be confronted as soon as he walked through the door with anything other than, hi, honey, how was your day, right? That's the dream we all have, right? It's that, I mean, that's the goal. And I'm, I'm not, we all have our own issues. I'm not here to talk about marriage, but we all have where we push each other's buttons and we play the game. But the goal is that we live peaceably with one another in a joyful home and we come home and either person, because it can be the guy coming home and yelling at the lady. It goes both ways, ladies. I'm not, I'm not picking and choosing here. I'm just saying, and I'm not here to talk about it today, but I'm just saying we all have those moments, but the goal, I think we can all agree upon, we didn't get married to fight. We didn't get married to be against each other. We didn't join and become one to be divided and fight. And that's something that, the, that we forget is that your spouse is not the enemy. You got married because you wanted to. You loved them or something about them you liked. And usually it was the, you know, ooh, ooh, look at that. They look pretty cool. You know, whatever. I don't know. Something attracted you. There you go. It was her drip. She had, why are you back there with drip? Come up here. Come now. I'm kidding. Something attracted you, right? And I'm, I'm not going to preach on marriage, but I'm supposed to say this today. The Holy Spirit wants me to say this, and I'm going to be obedient. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. And sometimes, this is, I'm supposed to say, um, parents, don't let your kids use you against each other. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You guys might need to talk and figure out what you want, get on the same page, <laughs> and present a united front to those children 
because the kids are awesome, but if they can, kids will use you against each other to get what they want. So you need to figure out what you guys want in your home, and then together, that's what you do. And, and, and again, I'm not going to teach all about this, but I'm just saying it. I'm supposed to. Amen? Your spouse is not your enemy. They're not your problem. They're not your problem. And God wants you guys to be happy. That's his plan, his desire. And we don't know how to do this. But if you will yield your heart to the Lord, begin to worship and seek him, and begin to love the Lord your God personally, begin to love the Lord your God personally, the love of God that engulfs your heart will begin to spill out into your home towards your spouse. We need to spend a little less time with, like, how do I fix this, and how do I fix that, and how do I fix this, and a little more time on, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I worship you. I make you my Lord, and I'm going to come today with joy in my heart, and I'm going to worship you. If we would start there, a lot of the other things would begin to work themselves out because God said he would, he would take care of this and his desires for marriage, right? Our first cooperation is we yield our heart to him. And as we yield our heart to him, God brings forgiveness, peace, and love inside of us with joy, and that works into our homes. And this is for someone today. Stop praying for your spouse. And somebody's brakes just went on. Don't pray for my spouse. Yeah, trust him to God. Start to thank God for your spouse. Start to offer up thanksgiving and praise for your mate, for your spouse, with God, not in front of them. I mean, if you want to do it in front of them, that could be weird. I mean, if you're not there, right, if you're not at a place that you can do this, it could be really weird to be, oh, honey, oh, I just thank you, Jesus, for my wife. She's such a blessing. She never yells at me. I thank you, God. She doesn't yell at me, God. I thank you. My wife never, you know, that's not really what I'm talking about, guys. That's pushing some buttons, getting ready for a fight, and hiding behind God and spirituality to try to not get beat up, right? I'm not talking about reverse psychology stuff. I'm talking about from your heart when you want, this is for you, to strangle them. And she ain't alone in this. She ain't alone in this, but the moment you want to strangle them is the moment you get alone with God and you begin to rejoice in him for them. And this is where faith becomes real. We all want faith to move mountains. We want faith to do all these miracles and signs and wonders. But I'm going to tell you, everything with the kingdom of God starts in your home first. And if you don't have it in your home, you ain't going to have it anywhere else you go. And this is something that has been lost in the body of Christ. It's been lost with believers, and it's not been taught properly in churches. And, and, and I don't got to get into what's not and what's happened and all the stuff, but I want to say what's right, and we need to talk about what's good and what God has for us, amen? And his plan for us is to make it in ourselves first, to get right with God in our heart and begin to honor and worship God from our heart. And then what peace and joy and excitement we have in our home, in our heart, we bring that into our home. And we bring forgiveness and we bring grace and we bring mercy. And, and how many people want judgment in here? Am I missing anybody? Anybody? Raise your hand if you want judgment in here. Oh, good, I'm in the right place. 
I mean, there's some people who do want judgment. I have good friends who are like, I don't feel like I've been to church unless my toes have been stomped on three or four times. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want my toes stomped on, man. I'm not, I'm not about not. And when you say something like that, people, they go, well, they just don't preach the word. No, what you're saying is you want me to preach about sin. You know about sin. You don't need anybody to tell you about sin. And some of us know really a lot about sin and really good at it, right? But we hide that, you know. We don't want to talk about that, which is a good thing, I think. I'm not here to talk about it. But you don't need to know about sin. You don't need me to come tell you about sin. Why? Because you know where you're failing and you know where your faults are. You know where you're messed up. The only time you need to hear is that you're a sinner is when you aren't born again and you think you're okay because, hey, I'm not as bad as the other guy. I'm not as bad as that guy. And you need to take the law. The law is good. The scripture says if used lawfully and the law is for the unbelieving, the unrenewed, and the sinner. And, when the, and I got news for you. You can't be a saint and a sinner. You are either a saint or a sinner. This is the truth, guys. It's like I have family members who used to always say, Oh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And it used to just drive me crazy. I mean, it would drive me nuts. And it wasn't just one. I had like one whole side of my family, aunts, uncles, grandma, cousins, all of them. And they'd all be like, ah, one of them get up. <laughs> you know which one. You, you. Well, glory to God. And they'd testify. I just want to testify to the Lord. I'm just a dirty old sinner who ain't worth nothing or nobody to pay attention to. I'm <sighs> just a dirty old sinner. Hoping and a praying for one day when I get to see my Lord. And I'm, I'm making a little fun at it. It's my family. But it would drive me nuts. It drive me crazy. You're like, why would it drive you crazy? Because that statement is at the root problem of the average believer. We are not identifying with Christ. We identify ourselves with our flesh. Because we live in the flesh, we walk in the flesh. The Bible says though we live in the flesh, right, we don't war according to the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh, right? And I'm not trying to preach on that either, so I'm going to just barely say it and then move forward. Here's what I mean. And I used to say this all the time. I'd say it my family pretty much quit saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace around me. They won't say it no more. They'll say, I'm just a, and they'll look at me. A thankful for Jesus. And it's the truth. They'll go, I'm just a, and they'll look at me. A thankful for Jesus. And I'm like, amen. You know why? Because I'd usually get up right after him and, I would, and I'd say, I'm not, a dirt, I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner, but I have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And now I'm the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Sin has no power or dominion over me. It has no hold on me because I'm a child of the most high God. And I'm not a child of God because I'm good. I'm a child of God because he's good. And I believe in him. It matters, guys. We're not an old sinner saved. I was an old sinner. I've been bought by the blood. I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. 
And you go, well, I saw you say a cuss word. I didn't say I did that I was perfect, and I didn't say I didn't do acts of sin. But my identity is not the word that I said. My identity is in Christ, and in Christ, I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things. And actually, I like how it says, behold. That's my favorite word in the Bible. And, and, and it's been taken out of modern translations because we're not smart enough to understand some of these old words. Is there anybody in here who doesn't understand what behold means? Anyways, I'm not going to pick on the, old trans, on the new hip translation stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a reason the word was there. Behold, and it's in the original Greek, and it's there for a reason, and it's more than just voila because I like voila too. It literally means to be and to hold, to be and to hold, behold, be and hold all things new. If anyone, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ... Old things have passed away. Be and hold all things new. I don't know about you, but I think that's cool. I think that's good. Amen, Pastor. Preach it. Preach it, Pastor. Amen. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't really need you to go amen. I'm teasing with that. But, but man, it's life-changing. It's life-changing to me. It's, it's, all, it's, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. How can we think getting born again, we walk away looking the same, acting the same, smelling the same, doing the same? It's life-changing, guys. If we're not pursuing the life-changing power of God, we're not really pursuing what, who he's made us to be. We're just not understanding who we are in Christ. You are either a saint or a sinner. Amen. And this will help a lot of problems, I'm telling you, in your life. <laughs> oh boy and you're like but i still sin yep you do and sin's way bigger than you think it is and if i really talk about what sin is if i don't if you don't listen to anything else i'll say you'll walk away here discouraged and beat up and beat down and condemned because sin is way worse than you think it is it's it's more powerful than you can even imagine and it has infiltrated your life in ways and areas you can't even begin to see understand or know sin is horrifically horrible sin is like ready to destroy and kill and to just rip apart every single thing. Sin is so much bigger than you think it is. And I get accused of not making very much of sin. I don't preach about sin because you want me to get up here. The Bible says thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not. You know you're messed up already and where you're messed up. What you don't probably know is who you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you just need to get in Christ because you don't even know who Christ is yet. Christ Jesus, you really don't know. And when I'm talking about sin is bad, sin is big, sin is there, I'm not exaggerating this. It is true. And that's why I say thank God for Jesus because you and I cannot overcome sin. We couldn't overpower it. You can't defeat sin. You can't overpower sin. Sin is not just the things we do. It's a spiritual state. It's separation from God. And to be in sin, you must be separated from God. Sin is separation from God. It's not just missing the mark. Sin is he who knows to do good and does it not to him. It is sin. There's one translation, and the one that will really drive the nail in the coffin is whatsoever is not of faith. 
is sin. I got good news for you today. Half of the religious traditions that we grew up in is sin. Did you hear me? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It doesn't mean the traditions are sin. Please hear me. Your heart and your belief from your heart determines whether something is sin or not. And this is a big subject, and somebody can mishear me and go, well, my heart's good, I'm going to go do it. Yep, and you're going to have the consequences of that, and you're going to get hit by a sin steamroller, and you're going to get, your life's going to be blown apart, and you're going to want to know why. But I was forgiven. I was forgiven. Yeah, but sin has consequences. And, and uh, what is it, Romans 6 somewhere, it says, do you not know that whoever you present yourselves as servants to obey, you become slaves to that one, whether sin unto death or obedience under righteousness. So you can be forgiven, be free, have where you got all the power of the Holy Ghost, but you can choose to do sinful things which sow seeds in your life that will come up and grow in your life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9. If you want to write it down, I'd encourage you and go read it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9. It says, do not be deceived. Now, that sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? It starts with do not be deceived. Or, depending on your dream for King James, be not deceived. But it's the same thing. Do not be deceived. That got my attention the first time I read that, brother. That got my attention. Do not be deceived. Whoa, ho, ho. I don't want to be deceived. Does anybody want to be deceived? The same crowd that doesn't want judgment doesn't want to be deceived? That's good. I said, I don't want to be deceived. What does this mean? Okay. I paid special attention to it. I'm being serious. It says, do not be deceived. And then it says, for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, from the flesh. If you have your Bibles, read along. This is what it says. From the flesh, he will reap corruption and death. But if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap life and peace. Amen? And then verse 6, 7, 8, and 9 is even more powerful, and we don't usually say that one a lot. I don't know if it's more powerful, but it's just the little it's the amen on those other three verses, amen? Six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah, nine is the amen on six, seven, and eight, in my opinion. It says, and do not cease in doing what is right or in well-doing, doing the right thing. Do not cease, for in due time or in due season, you will reap if you don't quit. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've been trying to love my wife. I've been trying to love my wife. Do not quit in doing what is right. For in due season, you will reap if you don't quit. Amen? I just want to try to make it practical for a second. Is that all right? Like, oh, this big spiritual truth. It works on our life every day, guys. Every day. These spiritual things Work in our lives every single day. 
Whatever you sow. And you're like, oh, I could do whatever I want to do. Come on, man. You got, you got a couple sides. You got, you got uh, if, you, if you, I mean, if you breathe wrong, God's going to judge you and you're going to hell, right? This is the extreme legalism side. If you, if you whatever, you're going to be judged and go to hell. And then the other side is over here. I do what I want, what I want, any way that I want because I'm under grace. By golly, don't you judge me and tell me under the law. And when you tell me I can't smoke crack, I say I'm under grace, brother. I ain't under the law. And you laugh about it. I've had conversations with people who are literally smoking crack. Tell me, I, don't put me under the law. There's two extremes. I've also had people who are elders and leaders in churches who, who look very awesome, have the meanest, hardest hearts of anybody I've ever met before. And literally, this is going to be a little bit strong. I don't see little kids here, but literally would not urinate on you if you were on fire. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying it's extreme, right? Maybe I should have said that, but I look at my wife, and when I see her hang her head, I know I went. I shouldn't have said that. Thank you. Yeah, they wouldn't get a glass of water. We clean this up, amen. We're Christians. I already thought I cleaned it up, but I, I said urinate. And this side over here is killing me and saying I'm going to go and lightning. And this side over here is going, keep talking. You're slipping over to our side. <laughs> so let's try to get back to the middle, amen. No, there's this place of so legalism, so law-based, so this sort of stuff. But the thing is, they're in sin just as much as the guy out here smoking crack. If their heart is dependent upon my, my religious works and my religious actions, my religious things is what makes me right to God. Because it says whatsoever is not of faith. So if you do religious rituals just to do religious rituals, it is not of faith. It is therefore sin. And you can be claiming to worship God and be sinning because of your heart. Somebody's going, that's why I never want to go to church. No, 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 no. Maybe some churches. But you are the church. The problem is you've, somebody's lied to you or you haven't understood or never been told that the church isn't a building. The church is a people. And we're living stones. That's why Jason this morning got up and said, hey, living stones, how are you? Because we are formed together as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And it's made up of living stones with individual pieces. And we form the church. Amen. And so no matter what building we're in, what field we're in, if we're just out in a tent somewhere, we're the church, amen. This is just the building where the church meets. But this isn't the church. This is a coffee shop. It's real easy to figure it out here. We don't have stained glass windows and shrines everywhere. I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying it's harder to recognize, you know what I'm saying, when you're sitting here. But if you could be religion and doing all this service, doing all this stuff in religion and still be in sin, it's about your heart. Where's your heart? And you go, oh, I don't know if that's true. Listen to me. I've had a few times in my life that God has given me the privilege and pleasure. I'm going to go to this side for a while. I always stay over there because the way that pole sits, I'm trying to dodge the pole around people. So it's not like this the whole time. Hey, brother, how you doing? No, no, no. Yeah. So we're doing the pole dodge. That's why you see me kind of doing this a lot. I don't have a weird preaching thing. I'm trying to get around the pole so that I'm not somebody stuck there the whole time. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit zooming in, you know, and that's the pole dodging. And so, <laughs> so God is good. Amen. But you can be, you can be serving God 
and be doing religious things. Does anybody remember a verse that sounds like these people honor me with their with their lips, with their mouth, with their, with their voices. Oh, we honor you. God is great and God is holy. God is good. All those are true. I'm, you understand, right? I'm making an over-the-top statement of a religious person. You ask somebody to pray for your food. And I'm not meaning like, you know, whatever. Sometimes people pray like that and it's real. But, I mean, when people normally don't ever pray and they just talk like, hey, buddy, what's up? How you doing? Did you watch those Chiefs? Ooh, I hope somebody can catch the ball, right? <laughs> and then you ask them to pray, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, sure, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we cometh unto thee in thy divine power. Like, it's okay, you know, but that's not probably like how you're going to really pray. Like, if, if something's going on in your life and you need, prob- uh, you need help real quick, right? Your car's broke down, you, you broke a bone, you've hurt yourself, you've done something. The way you view God determines how you approach him. I'm still on that statement, by the way. Glad I opened my Bible. I've quoted some verses already, so we're, we're getting the word. But if you see God as an angry God and, and a judgmental, harsh God, you approach him in fear. You approach him in this, this thing. You approach him with, with re- trepidation and reservation. And it all started because I said, I didn't want my dad when he was mad. I didn't want to go to my dad. My dad was great. He wasn't perfect. He's just like the rest of us. Amen? He was great. But he wasn't perfect. Could I give you sob stories about how he messed up? Sure I can. Why in the world would I do that? Because overall, my dad was great. Did he blow it? Yes. I hope I was a great dad. (laughs) Ha ha. I got some of my kids over here. Was I perfect? Yes, I was. The true answer. The true answer. Oh, there you go. Hey, that's good for my behalf. Say that louder. No, it's actually good, though. It's key, guys. If you didn't hear it, she said, no, he wasn't perfect, but when he made a mistake, I added that word. When he, when he blew it, he apologized and tried to make it right. I'll never forget lining all of them up. I'll tell myself. I've never forget lining all my kids up. Come on. I'm coming over to this side. I'm feeling judgment over here. This side's friendlier. <laughs> You know when your kids are playing, right? And they're all in there and all you hear is, stop it, quit it, don't. Anybody else or am I the only one? No. And you're in there trying to do whatever you're doing and you're like, in the background you just keep hearing, no, you're in trouble. And you're like, knock it off, right? That's right there. I did it. I told myself, parenting 101 failure. Quit! <laughs> but that's just the warning shot over the bow. You know what I mean? Like, that was kind of the warning shot over the bow. I'm not saying I did it all perfect. I already said I didn't do it all perfect. I'm telling a bad story on myself. So it starts even bad. They're, they're doing all the nonsense. And instead of going, hmm, there's four children back there, and it sounds a little bit rambunctious, maybe I should investigate. Nah, I'm busy. Shut up! <laughs> I didn't say shut up. I, didn't, I tried not to do that, because if they couldn't say it, I can't say it. That was our rule, right? And so they couldn't say shut up or stupid. Stupid's is bad, Dad. 
And so they couldn't say that. I couldn't say it. And so I was like, I was like, you guys be quiet, settle down, whatever, right? Keep going. And it's still happening. Dad of the year walks in the room. <laughs> All right. I've had enough. Everybody line up. And they're like, what? I'm like, everybody line up. Everybody's getting a spank. And I'm tired of this nonsense. And they're like, but dad. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Sierra's like, but dad, I'll give you another spanking if you don't be quiet right now. Literally. And they're all like, whoop. And I'm like, turn around. And I just, all four of them. Whether you believe in spanking or not, that's a whole other discussion you can have. I do. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we beat our children with the rod. It said, for they surely shall not die, it says. God gave us a little extra cushion, amen, for the vision. No, I'm kidding. We didn't beat them out of anger and stuff like that. But this time, I was frustrated. I was annoyed. Truth. Come on. Annoyed, frustrated, dad of the year time. Line up. <laughs> Nobody gets to defend themselves. Silence. <laughs> whipped them all. Whip, 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 whip. Four little kids crying. Go about my business. And I don't even know how it happened, but one of them comes up later to me. I think it was Sierra or whatever. And she's like, Dad, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking back or anything. She does like this whole, like, oh, Dad, I just, I'm not talking back. I know you spanked me, or I'm not talking back, but I just wanted you to know we weren't actually fighting. We were just playing a game. I was like, what? You ain't playing no game like that. Yeah. And she explained the game to me. I'm like, what? I'm like, come here. And I call all of them together. And they're, you know, they're doop, 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 you know, height-wise. I'm like, everybody, like, what were you guys doing? And I told her, I said, don't say anything. What were you guys doing? We were just playing a game. <laughs> What game are you playing? We were playing this game where blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, and I realized they were literally playing a game. JD, Amanda, fam, see you guys. <laughs> Get them, Blake. And they're like, good, they can think better of me. They won't know the story. And, and so then they're all crying and they're all sniffing and, and crying and sniffling. And, and I'm like, they were literally playing a game. And then I said, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> yeah, because in my heart I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't have whipped you had I known that. And so with full sincere, I go, why didn't you just tell me? And Sierra goes, because I didn't want another spanking. And then I was like, oh, and I mean, you know, come on. My heart is breaking and melting. I went from father of the year to like, I'm a little leprechaun on the floor. Like somebody squished me quick. You know, I'm, I'm mischief and I'm bad. Like get me. I'm, you come on. My heart just shriveled up. And I felt like the Grinch before Christmas opened his heart. And I was like, oh my gosh. And you know what I did? I said, line up, liars. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I literally, I literally got down on my knees, and I said, I am so sorry. I was wrong. You guys did not deserve these spankings, and I apologize to you for doing this. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You did not deserve it. You should have not been treated like that. Can you please forgive me? And I said, I promise I won't do this again. I will ask, and I will find out. What, what's going on before I discipline you? Can, you? can you forgive me? And I had four little kids jump into my arms and hug me and say, yes, Daddy, we love you. And we hugged and had a, had a moment, and it was awesome. But you know what? That repentance and apology healed things that I broke in their little hearts. 
that Satan could have got in there and done. And how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, have things in our lives that we deal with today because we had issues that happened that we never got healing from when our hearts were little. It's, it's real. But just because those things happen doesn't mean you have to continue in the path. Because guess what? My dad was awesome. My dad was great. But there was a few times that he beat me, beat me. This isn't a sob story. Don't feel bad for me. I'm just saying there were some times he beat me. But he never, and then he found out he was wrong. And I'm all good for spankings. I got a lot of spankings. I lived on spankings. Just, I was ornery, right? Everybody was like, he's either going to be a preacher in prison. And I'm a preacher, praise God. I've actually preached in prisons. So I did both, you know, overachiever. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's the truth. It's like, it's like I had, he beat me a couple times, and there were things in my heart that didn't get healed because when I was little and it happened, I never got apologized and a repentance and a chance for forgiveness, right? So then as an adult, as I grow up, I went through this phase of anger and rage, and I just wanted to fight the world. And then it came out when we had kids, when I began to discipline, and in that moment, I was like, never again will this happen. I didn't jump the ship and say, I'm never spanking my kids again. I said, we're doing this right and then after that process, then as I began to worship God, I didn't even know I had some of these issues in my heart because you don't realize you carry these. If you did, you'd usually take care of it. But they always simmer underneath, causing reactions that you don't fully understand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. But amen, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I put my hand up. That was a trap. I'm not trying to trap personal like, it's me, man. No, no, no. I'm just saying... But what happened was after I apologized to my kids and asked for their forgiveness and they hugged me, something began to happen in my own heart. It was like God was like, because you humbled your heart and asked for forgiveness, I'm going to do something you didn't even know to ask for. That's how good he is. And he began to work in my heart. And just shortly after that, in a time of worship, I realized that I was harboring stuff towards my dad for things that had happened as I grew up. And God said, I'm going to take it from you if you'll let it go. And I said, it's yours. And it went, Whoosh. and my heart was healed, amen. And you can ask my kids. They've, the ones who told me, they're like, whenever we hear, my, my sister, they're like, whenever we hear, you know, I can't say it without saying, it, it doesn't matter. Who knows, who, what's my sister? I have one. You can guess which one it is. My, they're like, whenever we hear Aunt Tracy talk about your childhood and we hear you talk about your childhood, it's like you grew up in two different houses. We grew up in the same house. And if you want to know the truth, my sister moved out. She's seven years older than me. She got married and moved out a good five, six, seven years. She moved, she moved out and didn't live the worst. When she moved out, my mom and dad were still married. After she moved out, just shortly after that, my parents split up, and that's when the real fun began. It was crazy before then, but it got really crazy. And whatever, Holy Spirit, amen, hallelujah, I'm obedient. I just don't like talking about this kind of stuff because it's like, but somebody needs it, so I'm not ashamed of it. It's just not what I, my plan isn't to come today and talk about her, but here's where we're at. And so she didn't even live through the real fun. 
And I can just give you a few highlights, people kicking in the door and holding gun to your head and different things like that, not exaggerating. I'm not going to go through all the details. Some crazy stuff, right? Because after they got split up, my dad got to hanging out with some people who, who you might have seen in Breaking Bad if you've ever watched that show. <laughs> I've never watched the show, but I'm apparently they cook meth. So that's who was hanging out and coming over and kicking the door in and stuff like that, right? So as a teenager growing up, having a few things happen like that. And again, I'm going to move on. I'm not going through this sob story. I already said more than I want to say. I don't feel like I'm supposed to say. That's why I'm saying it. But out of all of that, God completely removed it from my heart. Like, it's gone. It's gone. Like, freedom. We kind of started off this morning with freedom, right? Freedom reigns in this place. Like, with showers of mercy and grace, guys, this is like a real thing. Like, I am free of that stuff. And I, my father's passed on now. My only regret is he died before I could actually resolve it with him personally. But he, we didn't leave angry. We were on good terms. You know what I'm saying? We never talked about it, but we were on good terms. But God healed all this stuff inside of me. And it, I didn't even know to ask for it. Here's my point. I'm going somewhere with it, and then I'll, I'll, I don't know where we're at, but I'll, I'll, I'll not keep us forever. What I'm trying to say is there's areas possibly in your life and in your heart, and maybe you went through things worse than I did. This isn't about comparing horror stories and comparing war stories and, oh, it was really bad here or really bad there. Or, I, or maybe you had a great childhood and didn't go through it. It doesn't matter. I'm, one of my best friends in church used to be so discouraged because he'd always say, I don't have a testimony, man. I don't have a testimony. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I grew up in a good family. My parents loved me. I went to a church. I, believe, I accepted Jesus at a young age, and I didn't walk away. I don't have a testimony, man. Everybody else has been in the gutters and been all this stuff, and they have amazing testimonies. And I, and I would literally shake him and be like, you have the best testimony. It's the best testimony that you could have that you didn't go through this pain and nightmare and sorrow and trouble that you now have to have deliverance from to be a, a, uh, a well-rounded human being, amen, that's acceptable. I'm like, it's the best testimony. Never believe that lie. Never believe that lie. And, I, and he really loved his dad. And I said, do not do this disservice to your father, who he had a bad childhood. His dad was crippled and went through things none of us in this room might ever experience and grew up as a crippled man who, who raised his family well. And he fought through things. And I'm like, don't do a disservice to the fight your father fought to give his children a life he never knew. And then he was like, you're right, you're right, you're right. And I said, glorify God, my brother, because you have things and you are blessed in ways that you will never know. And I'm like, you have a legacy to pass on to your kids. You don't have to worry about repeating. And don't raise your hand, but you guys, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your biggest fear is repeating the stuff, right? But it can be broken with you. It breaks in you, amen, and it breaks the cycle. There's cycles in my family that has gone generation to generation to generation. Guess what? It, it stopped here. It broke here. It broke here. Not breaking, it broke here. My kids are grown. My youngest is 22 now. Like, my kids are grown. I got grandkids coming, right? It's happening, guys. It doesn't mean I get to be a turd now and be a grumpy old goat, but... But what I'm saying is, when I was younger, I broke it. And it doesn't matter when you get a hold of this. These things can be broken, but they will never be broken through religion because your faith is in your ability. And if you could do it, you would have already done it, but you can't. 
Sin destroys everything, but Jesus destroyed sin. Sin is the most powerful thing we could never overcome. Jesus overcame sin by his death on the cross, and then he nailed its death. He like buried it in his resurrection. And he stood, and he lives, and he's in us. Amen. If you believe in him, you have the resurrected Christ in you. And every part of your heart, no matter what's going on, where you've been, what has happened, God can move into that area if you will let him. And he can set free, break chains, release. The truth is many of us, I'll never forget Brian saying this to me one day. I'm going to say it if it's okay in public. He's like, I don't even know what you're saying. Isn't that a setup? I remember Brian saying one time, or maybe Johnny, I don't remember. One of the two, one of the two, you guys own it or don't own it. I don't care. It was Brian or Johnny, huh? Okay, maybe Johnny said it. Johnny, I'm saying it. You, you live in my house. You can beat me up later. We were talking about freedom. We were talking about Jesus. We were talking about stuff, and one of them said that they, he said that they were holding on to their chains, it was Johnny. Maybe not. I don't know. He was, they were holding on to their chains, like knowing they're free, but they were holding on to their chains, just like wanting to be free, but afraid to let go and see what would happen if you actually just let go and trusted God because he be so, became so comfortable with what those chains were. And he said it in a different way, different words, but that was the point. He'd become so comfortable with the chains that had been wrapped around him that even though Jesus broke them and the cell door was open, he was holding on to the chains because it's what he knew. And he was afraid to let go. And then I also got to see him that night go, and I'm letting him go. And begin to, Jesus! And all the fun stuff that goes with it, Amen. I dare say that there's some of us in this room today that are literally holding on to our chains because we've become, we have identified them and we've become familiar with them in such a way that our identity has been built on the failings of others and our own failings. We have built our identity to the point we wouldn't know what to do or who we are if we were to let them go. And I want to tell you, it's glorious. It's glorious when you let them go. It's glorious. God is amazing, and he defeated sin through Jesus. And in Christ, when you call on the name of Jesus, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit comes and he fills the person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. And I'm not going to get to teach this today because I don't have time. But I came to teach two things. And I'll get to this one. Because it ties in right here. When I say saved, the vast majority of the people in here hear forgiveness of sin, going to heaven. Right? Did you know the word saved? There's a few words for it, but the word that we actually get our word saved from is the Greek word sozo. 
and it's pronounced with a Z D, even though it's S-O-Z-O. I don't know how they get a D in there, but it's sowed, so. Sowed, so. Sowed, so. But I just say sozo because it's way easier. S-O-Z-O. I'm in English, man. I don't, I'm not a Greek person. Sozo. Sozo is where we get our word saved. And did you know that that word was, was I, I'll even read it. I brought a definition. <laughs> Check it out. I'm going to give you a definition. Sozo. It means to save. But if I didn't tell you it's the word that means save, you wouldn't have known that. You would have been like, oh, cool. Sozo means to save. It means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. So when you believe in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you're not just believing for the forgiveness of your sins. There's more, I promise. i got to read. You're not just believing for the forgiveness of your sins. You're saying, Jesus, I put my faith in you, which means that I will be saved, I will be kept safe and sound, and I will be rescued from danger or destruction. Um, it's it's uh, one from rescuing one from injury or peril um, to save a suffering one from perishing, i.e., one suffering from disease to make well, to heal, to restore to health, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, or to save or to rescue one, to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment, which means. Deliver you from the judgment of God for breaking laws. Deliver you from the judgment of God from sin in your life. That only comes through Jesus Christ when you get saved. Amen? It means to be forgiven, healed, delivered, and prospered. The word is translated save in reference to forgiveness of sins 38 times in the Bible. 38 times in reference to the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. We receive Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Amen. Guess what? It's translated save, healed, or made whole, or made well in reference to healing 18 times in the New Testament. The same words, saved. You remember, how about, uh, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be sozo, saved. We think forgiveness of sins. It's literally sozo, which was translated 38 times forgiveness of sins, but 18 times in reference to healing, both physical and emotional, 18 times. It was eight times translated in reference to deliverance. And four times in references to being made prospered or, or, or preserved. So when you get saved, you don't just get forgiveness of sins. When you get saved, Jesus did a complete work. When he said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. So salvation doesn't just mean forgiveness of sins and I go to heaven. Amen? There's a verse that says it's John 10.10. Half, most of you could probably quote it. John 10.10 10 says the thief, I'm trying not to say King James, but it's how I memorized it. So the thief cometh not. The thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus said, this is Jesus talking in the red. Not, I'm quoting him. Jesus in the red. And he says, but I have come that you may have life 
and life eternal. Amen? He said, I have come that you may have life and life eternal. Eternal And those two words, one means life in this natural realm, and one means the life, like the life of God now in this earth. He came that you would have life, that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. The Bible says this in Ephesians, we were dead. Also in Romans, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins, but yet we were made alive together with him because he's, right? We were buried with him in baptism in Ephesians. We were raised to walk in newness of life, Right? We're buried with him. He's paid for our sins. And, and, and it's that we were dead, and now we've been made alive together with him because he canceled out all the sins, amen? And so it's like we were made alive together with him. And then Sierra quoted in, in Colossians, it was Colossians 3, if I remember right. Somebody quoted Colossians 3. Hayden, it was 3.3. 3. He couldn't figure out what 3.3 3 was. And it says, if you have died then, and you are, then you are seated with him. If, why? And it starts with, if you have died and you've been seated with Christ, why do you keep seeking the elementary principles of, of the earth and be subject to these things such as do not taste, do not touch, do not handle? Which things have an appearance of godliness but will, will pass away. If you have died and your life is hidden with God and you're seated with him, then seek the things above where God is, where Christ is, where you are with him. Amen? We're with Christ. The scripture says they who are joined to the Lord are, anybody? Huh? One spirit with him. They who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then God will use the spirit of God that's in you to infuse life into your mortal bodies. There's more. I can keep going. I just... Amen, we get the point. We're one with Christ. We've been raised with him. We've been raised, my favorite, just so many of them, man. We're one in Christ. When you get saved, you don't just get forgiveness of sins, guys. The same spirit, we've been raised to walk in something new. Life, the life of God today and eternal life. We're not just like my grandma who's going, I'm just a hoping and a praying as I wave my white hanky that someday in the sweet by and by, God is saying here and now, today, today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the time. Today is the day. Hebrews 11, I don't know, Hebrews 11, 1. Faith, or now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. For, we, for by faith we know that the heavens were formed not out of what was seen, but what was not seen. I'm going to skip a few verses, amen? And by faith the elders did sacrifices are in favor, all that. We're going to skip down to verse 6, and it says, uh, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Ho, 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 oh no. Remember when I said if you have worship and you're doing worship and you're not doing it in faith, it's actually sin? Not me, the Bible. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You can be doing ceremonies and rituals that look religious, but if your heart is not in it, it's literally Jesus, the God in the Old Testament saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The God, the Father says, away with your sacrifices and burnt offerings, for I have not desired them, but I have desired a heart that will seek me and a body that I can inhabit. 
The Bible says his eyes look to and fro, looking over the earth, seeking for someone that he can show himself strong through. They who know their God shall be mighty and do exploits. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? See, we know a lot of these verses, but we, we throw them out there, you know. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your, your meek spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is here. Amen. Let your prayers and requests be known to God. With, with, um, with uh, your prayers and supplications be known to God. With thanksgiving in your heart and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then he goes on to say rejoice in the Lord. And, and again, I say rejoice. Amen. There's many, 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 many more. Come on. I mean, there's so many things. Romans 8.1. Somebody mentioned Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. I feel like we need to go to some churches and just read that verse and mic drop. Get up. Bless God. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you, you know what, some of you know what I'm talking about. But it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not for those who are in religion, not for those who are in the world, those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does the word therefore, therefore? So whenever you see the word therefore, especially starting a verse, you got to figure out why therefore is therefore. You got to go back and look a little bit ahead. And I'm not going to read all the chapter chapter six, but you, I mean chapter seven because I'd have to go through chapter four, five, and six to really lay out seven and, and to give it justice. Or we're cherry picking. But I promise you, I'm not cherry picking. I know what these other chapters say. Read them for yourselves. It'll bless your socks off, man. In Romans chapter 7, he's identifying his failures in his flesh. And the Apostle Paul is coming to the place to realize, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me of this body of death? Praise be to God. Thanks be to God who has delivered me. Amen. He goes, he goes I find this thing living inside of me that I who want to do good do it not. And the very thing that I hate, the very thing I despise, the very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing it. I who have Christ in me, the very thing I despise, and yet the thing I want to do, I do it not. And he says, therefore, I find this principle that's true, that sin is alive, and, and it's the sin that's in me, but it's not me doing it. It's not me because it's not who I am and what I want to do, but sin in me does these things. And then he says, oh, oh, who will deliver me from this body of sin, oh, wretched man that I am? Praise be to God who has given me the victory. Over what? Over his flesh. And then he goes, Romans 8.1, after he talks about all that in 7, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for the person who wants to do good and fails, for the person who desires to please God and falls short. There is no condemnation. That's in context. If you are here and you desire to be good and you desire to please God and you fail and you feel like that God can't love you, Romans 8.1 is for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who desire to please God, who want to do what is right, and you fail again and again and again. There's no condemnation. You are not condemned. For those who are in Christ Jesus, 
Why? It says because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in the flesh, weak as it was, God did. Sending his own son in the likefulness of sinful flesh, yet he has condemned sin for all time, for all men. Yes! Hallelujah! Man, God is good. Keep reading it. It's all good, man. I just quoted five, six verses to you. It ain't about, oh, he quoted five. Get in the Word. The Word is in you. It'll get in you. It'll start to say it, man. It comes out. The Word is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to cut the junk out of your own thinking first, amen. And then you can battle the other things out here. we got to take that sword and chop our own selves first. It's, it's, um, it seems like anti-whatever's that word. It's like not intuitive, right? It's anti-productive. It's like... I take out my sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. And before I swing that baby, I better go chop, chop, stab. Isn't that crazy? You take out the Word of God, and you pierce your own heart before you're able to actually battle. Because the Word of God is active. It's living. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And Jesus is alive. Why is the word living and active? Because the word is Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was God and the word was with God. And he, Jesus, was in the beginning with him. And everything that came into being came into being by him and for him. And nothing has come into existence apart from him. Come on. Jesus is the word. And I got more verses than that, but I'm out of time, praise God. He's the word. We just, we get so enamored in our own lives and we get so small thinking that we limit what God wants to do for us because we get so small thinking, we limit so much of what God wants to do because why? Because we're afraid to believe that that could even be possible. But I got news for you. I was going to actually start the service off in Romans 1.16 and it says, for I am not ashamed of what? of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For by it, wait, I don't got to keep going. I want 116, sorry. 116. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, amen, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Sozo. That word salvation comes from sozo. It is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to be saved, healed, delivered, and prospered. The same faith you use to get born again is the same faith you use to get healed. I don't have time to teach that, I promise you. This is page one that starts that teaching, and it's eight pages long, and I'm not done with it yet. We have now covered one verse on it. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm trying to say that there's been a disservice done to the church because it's God's will for you to be well, and it came in your salvation. It's not a secondary work. I got my sins forgiven. Now I got to work real hard to get healed. Uh -uh. You got saved, healed, delivered, and prospered when you received Jesus. The difference is you just don't know it. You don't understand it, so you're not applying your faith properly to walk in it. And then we've got to talk about something else. This isn't a one-time shot. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifetime. This is a lifetime. Uh, it's a, and I hate to even use the word lifestyle, because now that's been taken, but I'm telling you, back in 1995, I began to preach about lifestyle Christianity, 
And for years, I preached about lifestyle Christianity, and that's my phrase, and then it got made famous by somebody. Now I can't say lifestyle Christianity without somebody thinking about him and then and tying me to all that stuff. And, and yes, he's good and bad. He's a man. He's like all of us. He has good things and bad things, so don't worship men. Worship God. But this isn't about I come to church, I pray to prayer. Don't quit. You remember what we read already? Whatever you sow, that will you also reap. Let's, can we be real? How much do, time do we spend sowing to our flesh? And then we're shocked when we get corruption and death in our life. Oh, God, where are you? Oh, God, where were you? Why? And my phrase that you hear me say all the time, and praise God, it's actually making an impact in people's lives. I've had a couple testimonies in the last week where they're like, when you say that, I understand it. I'm like, thank you, God. Sometimes a pastor needs to understand or know that people get it, right? Amen? And, and, and I always say this. You can't do God's part. And he won't do your part. You can't do his part. His part's the saving, delivering, healing, prospering, re rescuing, restoring, redeeming, renewing, empowering. That's God's part. It's also the stomping, the kicking, and the tearing of everything the devil wants to do. It's the just total destruction and obliviation of every evil work and every evil thing. That's also God's job. He will destroy. He will, he will stand victorious and triumphant, guys. That ain't our job to break everything. It's our job to be broken by him and go forward in his power. Amen? Hallelujah, man. But he, we can't do his part, but he won't do our part. So as we wrap this up, I'm going to say lifestyle Christianity literally means that this is a lifestyle. One of the problems we have, I'm going to get on my high horse for a second. This is my, my pedestal, right? I'm going to get on my pedestal. I'm really going to wrap it up, but I feel like this is important. I'm not just going on a tangent. We have to break this thing inside of us that's being put on us by others around us that's telling us that we have to make our gospel so simple and so loving and friendly that it never confronts or condemns anyone. we got to make our services, we got to make the visitor feel comfortable. If the visitor's not comfortable, we haven't done, a, done our service correctly because they're not comfortable. Guys, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. The gospel is confrontational. The gospel is offensive to people who don't. The cross is an offense to the flesh. The cross is an offense to the kingdom. And you don't have to preach sin to bring an offense. People, you just got to preach the goodness of God, and you will see people offended like crazy, I promise you. You go say it's God's will for you to be healed, and Christians will start to crucify you. They will fight harder for their right to be sick than for hope in God's power. And which one are you? I don't know. But you choose who you are. How you approach him determines what you can receive from him. What you receive from him, or how, yeah, the, how you approach him determines, yeah, how you, how, you, how you receive from him. Amen? There's more. I'm not going to go down there. It'll take me. I'm so, so, think about, just think about this, guys. We're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the victorious one over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Come on. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're, we're promoting Jesus, and we're talking about Jesus. And then we say this, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I don't want a single person peeking. 
close your eyes and bow your heads because apparently we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. With no one looking, if you want to secretly lift your finger and secretly claim that you're going to believe in the Savior for the sole purpose of you don't want to go to hell, then wave that finger. I see that hand. Yes, hallelujah, brother. Thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. I see that sister. Hallelujah. Yeah, nobody, he's raised his hand helping me. But in a real way, nobody's raising their hand. They teach you in Bible school to start saying things like that to prompt people to respond. It's the truth. That's why in these churches, when they say we're going to do a call for anybody who believed in the Lord, they have everybody start clapping before they move. Because then people will get up and walk to applause. I'm on my pedestal. I'm on my high horse. I've already said that. I admit it. And I'll wrap this part up. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I think part of the problem is, is we have, we have ha given this idea that you can be a secret believer and you can take his name secretly and you can be a closet Christian who hides somewhere and there is no secret service group for the kingdom of God. You have to do it publicly. In fact, Jesus said, if you, if you deny me publicly, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. If you acknowledge me publicly, I will acknowledge you before my Father is in heaven. This is a doctrine of demons trying to keep people from publicly acknowledging their faith in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm done with it personally. So I'm throwing it out there because I think it's time for the church to be done with it, not just me as one individual member of the church, but the church, and then it's spread to the next, to the next, to the next, because we need to start being bold for his name and going, man, I do it more like this. Man, if anybody hasn't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't know what you're waiting for. But if you want to declare today publicly that I put my faith in him today as my Lord and my Savior, then by golly, here's your chance. Stand up and declare your faith in Christ, and then I'll wait. And give them a minute and go, okay, I'm not going to, oh, one more time, one more time. What, you're either ready or you're not. You're in or you're out. The problem is we've convinced everybody that they come forward and pray a little prayer. Their life is good and you'll never have a problem. That is a lie. You are literally saying, I choose to go against the grain. I'm going against the stream. I'm going upstream instead of down. And I'm going to follow Christ. And if you do that, he promises to empower you with his spirit to bring victory into you so you can walk in victory. And as I wrap this up, I'm really going to wrap it up now. We have all of these things in Christ, but it's about a lifestyle commitment. It's about cultivating a way of life that begins to make parts. I, I want to say all, but that's too big for me. All's big, right? My goal would be all. I mean, I ain't at all. But it's to cultivate a life to where parts of the Word of God become real to me. And if I really believe it, then what does that mean? How do I act? I better, I have to make a response if I actually believe it. It's not enough for us to sit back and say that we believe in something without making a stance. And I will say there's areas in my life that I take a stand in and I won't move. And I don't condemn others when they don't stand where I stand. Sometimes if I talk about it, people get condemned. I don't condemn anyone. I simply say, this is where I stand. And then people start trying to defend why they don't stand there. 
I didn't ask you to stand there. Maybe God didn't tell you to stand there. Don't stand where you're not ready for. Stand where you're at. But the Bible talks about the armor of God, right? Having put on the armor of God. And then having done all to stand. Verse 14 says, stand therefore. Having done everything to stand. What do I do? What do I do? If you don't quit, you'll reap. Amen? What do I do? You stand, but it looks bad. Stand. It looks terrible. Stand. And again and again and again in the Bible, it looks like destruction, destruction, and then miracle. Oh, it's too late. Nope, miracle. Oh, it's over. Miracle. God is good like that, man, but he wants us to stand. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Not difficult, not hard, impossible. And he ain't all about big faith. He wants real, sincere belief. And it don't matter to him if your faith stance is, I'm going to give a dollar in the offering, and you do it by faith. God is more pleased with that than all the platitudes we shout in worship and never walk it out. Jesus said there was a father that had two sons. And he went to both of them and he said, go into the fields and work. And one son said, I'm not doing it. And the other son said, I go, father. But then the son who said, I go, father, decided not to go. And the son who said, I'm not doing it, had second thoughts. And he changed his mind. He repented. And he said, I will go into the fields. And the one who first said no went, and the one who said yes didn't. And Jesus said, which of these do you think did the Father's will? It ain't about your first response. It ain't about these big platitudes. It's about from your heart a real response and taking a step. And lifestyle Christianity means you don't pretend you got it all together and can tackle the world. You realize you can only hit one thing at one time, and you tackle that thing with Jesus, with everything you got. And when you stand, you don't move. You don't fight every fight, but you win the fights you fight because you pick the right battle and you fight the right way. And you stand in the name of Jesus and the power of God. Having done all to stand, you stand therefore. And if I die, I will die in this place. Because if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of God's goodness. Amen? But I mean real stands, guys. And there's areas in my life that I need to stand better, but there's areas that I stand. And I hesitate to even say what they are because I don't want to, I'm not bringing, trying to bring condemnation to anybody who's not. I've seen that. It ain't about... The Bible says when we judge ourselves amongst ourselves, we become fools. That we got to get with Jesus and, and follow him from our heart in a right way. Amen? It ain't about where you're standing, where she's standing, where she's standing. It's about where you're standing. That's what matters. That's what matters. And I want to tell you, if you have stuff in you that you want out of you, how about starting to believe God for it? Amen? You might have gone to counselors and you've read books and you've done all kinds of things, but have you actually gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I take this out? And then after you've said, Lord, take this out, begin to thank him. Either you believe he's going to do it or you don't. When you pray, the Bible says, when you pray, believe that you have received these things and you shall have the things you've asked for. Believe that you receive when you pray. 
That's the faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? And again, I can, this, this takes me down another row with 10 more verses. It's not about all that. It's about, and I really am, I promise, right here. I didn't say how long I'd circle the airport before I land. Approaching final descent. <laughs> God is so much better than we've allowed him to be. Amen? Jesus' sacrifice is bigger than what we've imagined it to be to this point. Than what we've understood it or known it to be, it's bigger, it's greater. And if I'm going to make a mistake, and I encourage you to do this, if you're going to err anywhere, err on the side of God's goodness. Error on the side of God's grace. Error on the side of God's power. Because he can do it. And if it ain't happening, I promise you, it ain't his fault. And that would open up page two of that page I showed you to try to explain all that. God is good. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged in the Lord. I preached myself happy. Amen. He is good. And it's and it's easier than we've made it. It's also difficult. You know why? Because you have one person standing in your way. Your flesh. The devil can't stop anything in you, but he messes with your flesh to try to get your flesh to agree because we are a spirit. I'm approaching the runway. Soul, wheels are down, and body. We are a three-part being. We're creating God's image. He's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We have spirit, soul, and body. And Satan works in our flesh to try to get our soul. Do you realize your soul is actually your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, and your feelings? That's your soul. I want that clear because when we say saving souls, we're talking about our spirits. Your spirit is the part that's either lost or saved. Is saint or sinner is your spirit. You're either alive with Christ or you're dead in your sins and transgressions. That's your spirit. Our soul hasn't been renewed yet. That's our mind. We're trying to do what Romans 12, 2 says, right? Renew our minds. Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Amen? And so we're renewing our minds, but only one-third of our salvation has taken place. And this may be a big thing for you to think about. I'm sorry I'm dropping a bomb right at the end, but it's good for you. We are three-part being. Only one part has been saved at this point. That's our spirit. And they who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. you got the spirit of Christ in you if you believe in him and you're born again. Amen? But we're trying to renew this stuff. So what Satan does is he comes into our flesh, right? And he tempts our flesh to try to get our mind to agree with our flesh, which will side against the spirit. It's like your spirit. The Bible says this, that the spirit is at war with the flesh. Amen? This shouldn't be news to anybody. The spirit is at war with the flesh. But did you know the casting vote isn't your pastor? The casting vote isn't, you know, the devil. The casting vote is your own mind, your own thinking. That's it. You can choose to agree with the flesh and sow seeds to the flesh. I already quoted this verse. And receive corruption and death. Or you can agree with the spirit and sow seeds to the spirit and from the spirit reap life and peace. Amen? 
Your flesh is the only thing, your mind, agreeing with the flesh or agreeing with the spirit. It's getting to be lunchtime, so I'll say this, and this is it. You can have as much God as you want or as little. You choose. God isn't the one holding out on us. We're the one. We can't do his part. He won't do our part. You choose. And that's why he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Amen. Father God, we worship and praise you and declare you are amazing and you are good. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I think your word is active and living and it's sharp and it can cut and divide into our hearts. And Lord, I pray this morning that you uproot unbelief out of our lives and you let your word be planted inside of us. Lord, I spoke many verses today and I believe that the seeds have fallen on good soil and that these will grow down and, and bring forth life. And Father, I pray that the people hearing these words will, will water these words with the Spirit of God. They will bring water into their life with the Holy Spirit and see fruit come to maturity. And we thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for victory. I thank you for people being set free. They don't even need their hands laid on them. They simply need in their mind and their heart to call out to you and they can be delivered. And I thank you for this, Father. And we honor you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Lyric House Church podcast. We hope this message blessed you and we encourage you to share with your family and friends. Remember, the gospel is good news and good news is worth sharing. If you want to get involved or see what's happening next, make sure to follow us on social media. Until next week, we love you and God bless.